Take your Bibles and open up to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, we are in our last two weeks of Ephesians, believe it or not. And so we're, uh, we're going to finish up the book of Ephesians next week. And I pray that this has been a, a rich and fruitful time uh, for you. But more importantly, my prayer is that this has been an equipping time for us as the church. And uh, as we finish this up, we're going to shift gears and move into a time in preparation for Resurrection Sunday coming in April. And so uh, we're going to be walking through a series in the last three chapters of Matthew starting in April uh, called It Should Have Been Me. And so I'm looking forward to that and uh, hope that you'll be able to join us as we Walk through that here in a few weeks as well. But Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to start just by reading this text. I'm going to read starting in verse 5 for us this morning. It says, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Heavenly Father, as we uh, open this text today, Lord, may you be glorified most of all, but may you challenge us, may you challenge our way of thinking and help us to understand clearly how we can serve you effectively as the church here in Canton, Illinois. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, so kind of to introduce this and get us thinking a little bit, um, if I were to take a poll about how many quote-unquote masters you think we each would have, think about what response might get. How many masters we each would serve or say we would serve. And... While we may not realize it, I really believe that many of us would find that we serve or at least attempt to serve multiple masters. And much of this may be things we don't do cognitively that we just do and we don't even realize or recognize that it would be called something that is a master in my life, but we do. And so my prayer for us this morning is that we would kind of evaluate ourselves, again, both individually and as the church, because we're still in this frame of thought of going, who are we, but more importantly, uh, or who am I, but more importantly, what's the answer? Who are, who are we, okay? Who are we as the church? And this has a profound impact on the rest of what the church is called to. Each piece of this does, but for this morning, for us to understand who we serve or what we serve is of profound significance across the board. 
Alright? If we don't get this, we're gonna miss a lot else that God has called us to as the church. And so, um, I'm gonna do something I don't normally do, but I love to do this in teaching settings because it gets you engaged and it makes you function as if you're part of this because you should be part of this, alright? And so I'm gonna ask the question, and as you think about it, I want you to just spout out what comes to mind, okay? We're going to have a little class participation, if you will. And I'm going to do my best to write and record what you say. Now, do not, uh, do not judge me on my spelling or my handwriting. That's my only requirement. Okay? All right? So, if I were to ask you the question, what defines a master? What defines a master? What would you say? What was that? Experience. Okay? Okay, what else? Power. Control, I heard control. Obedience. A leader, is that what I heard? Okay. Okay, what else? Matt, what defines a master? Let me think. What was that? Confident. Okay, somebody or something that I trust. I'm just going to put trust. Loyalty, okay. Okay, what else? A master provide. okay. So something that provides, okay. And I want you to define, define something that what defines a, a master? Okay? What else? Knowledge. Okay. What was that? Bearing and love? Caring. Okay? Something I care about. Okay? Owner. Okay. So this gives us a pretty broad picture. And we could probably go on for a lot more. It gives you some ideas. Right? Now, the reason I did that is to get us thinking about when we hear the term master, what comes to mind. Alright? And what this brings to mind for us when we consider this whole concept of who is my master or what is my master. Now, if we were to, if you were to define this, as in the dictionary definition, this is what you would find for a master or as we're going to even understand it today in our context, based on the biblical language, it's Lord. Okay, Lord or master in the, uh, in the biblical language is the same word. Okay? And if you were to define it, it is someone or something having power, authority, or influence. A master or ruler. Power, authority, or influence. Now, all of a sudden, when we start understanding and looking at those definitions, if we were to start compartmentalizing in our life and going, what in my life fits into these categories, we might not like what we start seeing. Okay? And so, uh, what I want you to evaluate this morning is what or who 
you have allowed to be a master or a lord in your life. And now I want you to do this. I've, I've, I was thinking about a way that we could evaluate this together. And so kind of personally, I want you to evaluate this. I'm going to stick something up here as a question, okay? And I, these are, there's three points I want you to evaluate this by, all right? So there's three points. Go ahead and move that next slide over. This is, we're going to call it the master evaluation. The top three items taking or driving my attention are what? And I'm going to give you three locations. Okay? At work. At home. And when I'm by myself. Or when I'm alone. Okay? Now you'll notice there, I did not place what are the top three things taking my time. Because the reality is, I fully understand, if I put time up there, some of you are going to go, but I have to work. And I have to do school. And notoriously, when I preach a a message on time, I always have some junior high or high school student that comes up and says, can I use this as an excuse to not do school anymore? Always. Every time I've talked about that. But rather, instead of focusing on just how we use our time, that's a separate entity, I want us to think more specifically about what is driving my attention. In other words, why am I focused on doing the things that I'm doing? And this applies across the board. What's driving my attention when I'm in prayer? What's driving my attention when I'm open God's word? What's driving my attention when I'm sitting here on a Sunday? What's driving my attention when I'm at work, when I'm with my family, when I'm with my kids? This, this applies broadly across the whole spectrum of it. And so this is a good evaluation for you to just jot down and think in your mind on a day-to-day basis what top three items, and that could be people, it could be things, you fill in the blank, are driving my attention at work, at home, or when I'm by myself, when I'm alone. And it's going to help you understand and grasp a lot more where accurately where you are really at as opposed to where we'd like to think we're at. Okay? And out of all this today, I'm going to give you one main point, one main point for the whole message today. And so if you get nothing else out of this message, take this away. And it's a simple truth based on this text that Christ is your Lord, do His will. Christ is your Lord, do His will. Now, just to reiterate that, because so I'm going to have you say half of that back to me. I'm going to say, Christ is your Lord, and you're going to say, do His will. All right? And we're just going to do that a couple times just to get it ingrained. All right? So, Christ is your Lord. We're going to do it one more time. Christ is your Lord. Okay. This is a focus point of this text. No matter who you are, what you do, or who you manage, you are called to be a servant of Christ. Now, some people might go, well, what about those who are not followers of Jesus? Well, this, this is separate. This doesn't apply to you. Okay, if you're here today and you don't believe in the name of Jesus to be saved, the main idea that you need to understand today is that's where you start. 
you start on this journey by asking, who is God? Who is Jesus? And why should I care? Okay? Those three questions. You, you, your journey starts by answering those three questions. And I encourage you, open up God's word. Open up this, this book. And seek to ask those three questions. Who is God? Who is Christ? And why should I care? But as we know, the book of Ephesians was written to whom? It was written to the church. Everyone say the church. Okay, the church, not simply in one location, but the church broadly. This applies to the church, God's church, those who desire to follow after Jesus as the only way to eternity. All right? And so, when we're talking about this command out of Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going, Christ is your Lord... Do His will. That's applicable to you who are followers of Christ. And no matter who you are, what you do, or who you manage, you are called to be a servant of Christ. Right? Now, as we look at our text today, there's really two main focus people or people groups. And that is bond servants and masters. And the first one of those I want to highlight, look at verse 5 again. Bond servants... Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Now, a little background on bond servants. This is some, this is a broad term. In fact, the, the Greek word, I don't often do this, but I'm going to teach you some Greek words today. The Greek word used here is doulos. Everyone say doulos. Okay? And that means bond servant, slave, or servant. And some of you are going, well, how do you know which one is accurate? And, this is where context of Scripture becomes so important. And how we study Scripture becomes so important. Because if we don't understand the broad cultural, the broad context of what's taking place, if we just read a verse and pull it out and miss the rest of what's going on here, we're going to get confused really fast. And so you'll see throughout Scripture this term used in different ways because it's speaking to a different people group. Now, specifically, looking at Roman culture and the culture of the New Testament, it's estimated that there were probably around 6 million slaves within the Roman Empire in that day. Okay? And in the New Testament, as we think about separating those terms, uh, doulos is often best described as bondservant. That's where you'll see it used the most. And that is someone, when you think of a bondservant, that's someone in the Roman Empire, officially bound under a contract, usually for about seven years. And there were numerous reasons that they would take on these contracts. Uh, some was to simply pay off debt. Some others, it was another means of, of income or their family needed a place to live because they just couldn't afford that. And so they would become a bondservant under contract. And they would continue to carry out the work of their master or their lord. And this would have been true for seven years in Caesar's household. This is kind of interesting. 
In Caesar's household in Rome, the, the bond servants were contracted for double the time. So it was 14 years. All right, there's a little interesting historical fact for you. And then when the contract expired, the person was freed. That was often how a bond servant worked. Now, there are other places in Scripture and culturally where it was not simply a bond servant, but it was literally, most literally, a, a slave or someone who was literally bought and sold. Okay, you see that in Scripture. Though I will tell you, there are people in our day and age who are convinced that Scripture condones the concept of slavery. You will not find that anywhere in Scripture. Rather, like we see in this instance, the writings of Scripture speak specifically about how masters and bondservants and slaves are to still be able to remain loyal and faithful to God, no matter what their circumstances. No matter what's going on, that the attitude of the person would remain consistent with what the Bible has called them to. Okay? And so as we seek to understand that, there's a lot there when we think about uh, what Scripture is speaking about when it comes to bondservants and slaves and these other concepts. There's a lot here when it comes to that. But Paul's focus here is on developing the attitude of fellow believers regardless of their position. On developing the mindset in the situation that they're in. And going, I care about how you are walking to be more like Jesus. That's what this is focused towards. Those in Christ, in fact, often called themselves slaves to Christ or bondservants to Christ. You see that in Second Peter 1, verse 1. That's how he introduces himself. The same in Jude, chapter 1, verse 1. And even in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, it's being written or told to the bond servants of Christ. And so this term is widely used. And Paul himself even called himself a bond servant to Christ. In stating that there's one who is my master. There's one who is my Lord. There's one in the midst of this. Freedom to love Christ, freedom from sin, freedom from the fear of death, this is all rooted in Christ, biblically, in what we see. But the broader question that could be asked here by the people group is, how do I remain a servant of Christ in my work? And this is applicable to us today. How do I remain a servant of Christ in my work, in what I do? Now, just out of curiosity, how many of you at one time or another, at any point in your life, have been going about your day and working at it, and you have this question that pops into your mind and go, I don't know if I'm serving God in this at all. Have you ever had that? Seriously. Show me your, show of hands if you've ever had that, okay? This, this is good so that we see and say, I'm not alone in this. I'm not alone in the, the feeling that I've had with that. And so the same question is applicable. How do I remain a servant of Christ in what I do? And biblically it tells us, verse 5, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Work with sincerity. Okay? 
When we're, when we're looking at how do I remain a servant of Christ, how do I do this well, how do I remain in a positive attitude in the midst of my work environment, no matter how it may be, it starts here. Work with sincerity. And it goes on, not by the way, this is verse, uh, verse 6, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as, look at that, bond servants of who? Who's to say there? Christ. Bond servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. So this is done, when we think about doing it with sincerity, what does that look like? Not out of compulsion. Or out of sarcasm. And you you can't deny that we've been guilty of this in the church. But we've all know that person who we work with too. Who is just really sarcastic about the work they have to do. Or they're just really down about the job all the time. And when you're asked to do something, they kind of give you that roll of the eyes look. And go, oh, okay, yeah, I'll do it. I'm going to do it. And if we're not careful, church, we do the same thing. And we do the same thing in our jobs. We do the same thing in our homes. We do the same things in our ministry, what God's called us to. And we kind of get this mode around us where it's no longer done with sincerity. It's just done because I feel like I have to do it. And, well, you know, my boss told me I have to, so I, I have to. I have to. What would happen, church, if everyone who claimed the name of Christ all of a sudden shifted their mentality to where they worked with sincerity? Everything they did. All of a sudden, their attitude is just one of, yeah, I'm, I'm ready. We're going to do this. You want me to scrub toilets? I'm on it. Really, I'm serious. And we laugh about that because most of us, I would say many of us, would not enjoy if our boss came to us and says, hey, I need you to go scrub the toilets right now. That's one of those, even at home, you might go, okay, I'm going to do it out of compulsion because I have to do it. All right. But if I'm seeking to be a servant of Christ in what I do in my work then I have to do it with sincerity, not out of compulsion or sarcastically. And this is the other significant thing in verse 6 that is probably even more challenging than that. Not as people pleasers. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Now I'm going to be transparent with you, and I've stated this before, That concept is one of my biggest struggles, personally. I really struggle when someone is upset or has something against me. It bugs me to no end. And it can even be like a side comment. Someone says something just in a tone or sarcastically, and it just eats at me for weeks and weeks and weeks. And they could mean nothing by it. But I get this gut feeling, and I go, oh. What did I do? Did I do something wrong? 
have I hurt this person? And I always, I, 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 I always try to go to those people and say, look, I, I, this has bothered me. I feel like I did something wrong. But so often, it's so easy for me to become so fixed on making sure that people aren't upset with me and people are uh, comfortable or they're happy that my eyes slowly drift away from what God has called me to, to simply focusing on people. And that's dangerous, church. That does not make me a servant of Christ. And to reinforce that biblically, flip back a few pages to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. And the church of Galatia was a church who was struggling with the shift of what had taken place in their culture. They had previously abided by the law and the temptation was for them to come back to a place where they were read just following the law rather than living in freedom with Christ. But if you look at this specifically in uh, verse 10 of Galatians chapter 1. says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Paul himself stated there, if I am seeking to please man with this, if I, if that is my motivation, if that is what's driving my attention, then I'm no longer a servant of Christ. No longer a servant of Christ. And many of us need to remind ourselves of this truth over and over and over again. And so what should it look like? Hey, not out of compulsion or sarcastic, not as people pleasers. Work with sincerity, but also just in general, I should work as if I'm working for Christ. I should work as someone who's working as if I'm doing it to the Lord. Verse 5 says, as you would to Christ. Then if you look at verse 6, it says, but as bondservants of Christ. And then verse 7 says, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. The reality of this church is the same truth that we talked about the last couple of weeks when it comes to our marriages. When it comes to our children and our parenting. That who I am now in my workplace. To the people who are over me in authority. What God has called me to model and to do in my role. Is between me and God. It's between me and him. And everything I do should be done with a focus to say, is this, in this moment, seeking to glorify God? Or is it seeking to glorify someone else or something else? What's my attention driven towards in the midst of this? 
Now, some people have experienced immense pain at the hand of authority figures. I'm not going to stand up here and deny that truth. They've experienced that pain with authority figures in the church, in their workplaces, in their home. And wrongful behavior needs to be called out in all things. But in all things, you are to work with your eyes fixed on Christ first, no matter the setting. Right now, one of my kids' favorite verses to quote is in Colossians chapter 3, which says, whatever you do, work heartily as to the, what? As to the Lord, not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. That's what that says. Now the truth behind Ephesians 6 doesn't stop at bond servants. It goes on to say the exact same thing to masters. And so the application is still the same for those of you who have people working under you. And he goes on there in uh, verse 9. Masters, do the same to them. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And that there is no partiality with him. You know what this says, church? This says that it doesn't matter what role or position you hold here on this earth. When we get to heaven, we're all standing before God in the same way. No one gets special privileges just because you served as a master or someone high up on earth. In heaven, that will not matter. In fact, Scripture speaks often that it's those who are of the lowest state on earth that will be counted as the highest in heaven. So what does this mean for me and my job and where I live right now? It means that in everything that I do, I should be seeking to serve Jesus. I should be seeking to serve Christ. Because Christ is your Lord, so I'm going to do... We're going to try that again. We're going to get this by the end. Because Christ is my Lord and I'm going to in everything as a servant to Him first. Your master is not yourself. And some of us need to be told that and remind ourselves of that. You are not your own master. Now, that does not mean you are not responsible for yourself. You are only, in fact, you are only responsible in the sense of being able to control the exact actions of what takes place to you. You decide who you serve. You decide how you spend your time or what directs your attention or your focus. But there is no partiality in heaven for those in any role. We're all going to stand before God in the same way. Now, as we think about applying this here in closing, 
I want to illustrate this in one more way and, and answering the question, why is it so crucial that I only serve one master? And I was thinking about a good way to illustrate this, and so we're going to try this, but I, I'm, going to need, I'm going to need someone to help me. Okay? So, I'm going to ask, is there anyone here who knows how to juggle? Because I don't. Does anyone here know how to juggle? I'm, I'm being dead serious. Anyone? Does anyone know how to juggle? Well, you're going to come. If, if you're okay, I, I'm not going to make you come up. If you're okay with it, come up here. I'm going to have you juggle because I'm always impressed with people who can juggle. I'm like a two-bag two juggler. Okay? I could stand here and do this all day. Right? Okay? So, as we think about this, oh, I just want to see you juggle first. By the way, this is, this is my brother Jay. This is Jay. If you didn't know Jay, this is Jay. And he has a beautiful family. You have seven kids now? Yeah. Seven kids. All right? So, if you didn't know Jay, now, you, now you've seen Jay, so you should say hi to Jay sometime. Okay? All right? And so, I just, all right, I'm, no pressure here. If you can juggle. Okay, see? That's good. All right? Now, just as we're thinking about this as an illustration point, okay? And with one of these bags, you obviously, if you're a follower of Christ, you're serving God as Lord, okay? So you've got this one that you've got to juggle, all right? And now, realistically, I should give you eight bags because you've got seven kids and a wife, right? <laughs> no, it wouldn't turn out well, right? But all of a sudden, if I really started piling these up and thinking about all the things that could possibly demand my attention between my job, even if I just picked one for my family, if I pull out one that's focused on God and then I start adding up the other categories, all of a sudden I start piling these bags up and if I asked him to juggle all of these bags, he's going to tell me, what are you going to tell me? Can't. You can't. Okay. All right. I'm impressed. Give him a round of applause. I'm impressed he could do three. Okay. Thanks, brother. <clears throat> now, there are people, th- this illustration falls apart in the sense that there are people who can juggle a ridiculous amount of things. There's people who juggle chainsaws for Pete's sakes. Okay. But the point of this is... For all of us, as we start adding up the things that can command our attention or take precedence in that way, eventually we're going to get to a place where we go, I can't do it anymore. I cannot keep all of this going and maintaining and still be sane. It's going to fall apart. And in fact, Jesus even talked about this in Matthew chapter 6, when he says you cannot serve two masters. Because you'll love one and hate the other. Or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And in fact, in that context, he says, therefore, you cannot serve both God and money. And so as we start evaluating this church, as we start thinking about this, it comes down to this reality. That Christ is your Lord. Great. God never intended for you to serve five masters. He didn't even intend us to serve two. Rather, God's truth to the people in the biblical age and to us is that no matter who our earthly master is, we live as if we are serving Christ in all of it. 
And then all of a sudden, when that becomes my focal point, me seeking to just juggle one bag doesn't seem so bad anymore. Doesn't seem so hard until I start adding all these others to my plate. So how do I do this? One, here's three things. I'm going to give you three things to challenge you with this week. One, switch complaints to compliments. If you have a complaint about your job, find something to be thankful for about your job. If you have a complaint against someone at work, go out of your way to pay that person a compliment to them directly. See what shifts in not only their attitude, but maybe yours more specifically. Secondly, trade happiness for joy. Happiness is an emotion, church. You will go through seasons where you are not happy. But if your joy is rooted in Christ, there is nothing that can take that away. No matter what you experience, no matter what mountains you're on or valleys you go through, if you seek to have joy rather than just earthly happiness... Your ability to serve as a follower of Christ, to serve Christ in all things, drastically improves. Because your joy can only, lasting joy is only rooted in Christ. And thirdly, this one may be the most challenging. Leave pride for humility. Remind yourself that apart from Christ, we're nothing. Apart from Him, there is no hope of eternity for us. And day after day, if you seek to apply even just these three, three ways and saying, I'm doing this because I am a servant of Christ first in all things. And that's where I'm going to fix my eyes. Watch God transform you to be more like Jesus. And so church, as we close with this, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up here. But as they do so, I want us to remember that main point, that main idea. And so we're going to say it two more times together. And then we're going to stand and pray together. Christ is your Lord. Christ is your Lord. May that be our prayer, church. Let's stand together. Heavenly Father, may we live this out in a powerful way that you are glorified most of all. May we recognize the areas of our life where we're seeking to juggle way too many, way too many things. And may we fix our eyes fully on you, seeking to serve you in all of it. Pray this in Jesus' name.